Hi there. This is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Grimion, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Back again with my guest co-host, Lisa Holthouse, who is a dear friend and also the executive publisher of City Book Magazine. Having a great time talking with Beck. I love getting all the scoop on the early days of Paper City. And Paper City has such a storied, rich history, and I just loved hearing about it. They're competitors, but we admire them. They set the standard, and we're honored to be in their world. And we're very honored to continue talking with Becca Cason Thrash. Becca is one of the world's leading philanthropists and party hostesses and just all-around glamorous people. If you missed the last episode, go back and listen to that. And now here's part two of our conversation. When I first moved to Houston as a journalist to run another magazine here in town many years ago, before I met you, your reputation preceded you and the reputation of your parties preceded you. And one of the things I always heard about was that people would occasionally fall into the pool at your house. And I must tell you, I was very disappointed that for many years I would go to these wonderful parties at your house, always honored to be included. Please keep me on the list. Oh, totally. <laughs> but no one ever fell in the damn pool. Not <laughs> when you were there. When I was there. The night that all changed, and I'd like you to tell me a little bit about the history of falling in the, in the pool and the, and the lore around that. But the night that changed was the night you hosted George Clooney, at your home. And it wasn't him. No, it was Because that would have been the front page of every paper in the country. But. Well, the first time it was the headline of Women's Wear Daily, the first time somebody fell in the pool, because I was having a dinner for Best Buddies, and it was honoring Anna Wintour. So, you know, the pressure was on, mm. because Miss Congeniality, she's not, <laughs> you know, and I was a nervous wreck. And we changed the decor at least three times. And that morning, they set up a stage across the indoor pool, because it was a benefit for Stages Repertory Theater. And they were doing an abbreviated performance of Full Gallop, which is this, the, the, the play about Diana Vreeland. And I had done this very clean, black and white sort of Armani decor, and now they do the stage, and it's Diana Vreeland's apartment, which was bright red and leopard and ruo candles. And I'm going, oh, my God. So now this is clashing. Call Richard Flowers. It's like 1030 in the morning. And I said, we got to strip all the black and white out. We got to make it red. It can't clash. And no with pipe it. and drape. Under and no circuit. pipe and drape ever. <laughs> and so long story short, we did it all. And we got it together. And he's so calm. Thank God. And she comes in and Diane von Furstenberg. I mean, it was a really an all-star cast that night, as many, many nights they always are. You know, I try my best to give my friends in Houston the star power. So Lauren Bush was an emerging, you know, teenage. She had just been on the cover of W Magazine, and she was an emerging model. And so Neil came with his then-wife, Sharon. He was married to Sharon then. And Lauren came, and she brought her darling high school friend, Luca Samosa. 
And Lucas walks in and the first person he sees is Diane von Persberg and he's always just, you know, been crazy about her. And then he meets Diane of Vreeland and he's just, you know, he, he tells the story better than me and he's so starstruck and he's just standing there looking around and he takes a step backward and in he goes, <laughs> splash, you know. And so we whisked him up to John's, you know, bathroom and in he was... And the pool, so listeners will know, it's it's indoors. Yeah. And oh, it's sorry. sort of in, it's sort of in the ballroom. Do you call it the pool room or the ballroom? But you often set the tables for the dinner yeah. around it's the like, pool. It's kind of like, to me, it's like a solarium, especially now it's like so filled with plants, but everything comes out and we do seating around the indoor pool, which is doesn't look like an indoor pool. I mean, there's not any hardware that takes you in. And I mean, it's just the all, railings or any no, of that. no, no, it's just, it's like, no diving it's like board. a little, no diving board. It's like a little pond within the house and the seating goes around. So he fell in. And the next day, the headline of the Women's Wear Daily was Lauren Bush's date makes a splash. <laughs> and so, and then after that, there were people who made splashes and fell in the pool, but it was more accidentally on purpose, uh-huh. you know? And there was one really wild night, and it was for Versace. And Donatella was coming, and the Versace team had been there for days doing the Versace rug. So people walked from the street up the sidewalk on Versace rugs, and all the crystal was Versace, and the china was Versace, and everything was Versace. And on that night, three people went in. But back to the first night. So Lucas is the first one in, and he's mortified because he's, you know, 15 yeah, years old. Right. And they take him up to, to John, the blow dry his, you know, pants. And I mean, he was downstairs pretty fast. But then somebody else went in. A waiter went in. A waiter went in because the tables and chairs are so close. Now I put only the non-drinkers with their backs to the pool because drinkers can't be close to the pool. You just <laughs> never know what's going to happen. And I remember my sort of waiter, I always had the same one, came up and whispered in my ear, Madam, another one has just gone on <laughs> in the pool. And I went, oh, God, you know, that's terrible. So sorry. <laughs> I, I totally missed it. And I remember Diane of Reland said, a third would be three times too many. And I was like, <laughs> no. Okay, don't. So I said, if another one goes in, don't tell us. <laughs> just don't tell us, you know. And then people were aware, and they'd read about it, and so people were really aware. And but on the night of George Clooney, it was Will Galtney that, mm-hmm. that I was there. came in. You were there, that's <laughs> right. And I remember we were raising all this money, and George was having so much fun. What was and, the charity that night? Well, he was brought to Houston to speak at the Wortham for the Brilliant Lecture series, but the money all went to now, not on my watch, which is George's foundation for all of the money that he raises for the refugees and the situation in the Sudan. And his director, his name is John Prendergrass, I'm still, I became super close friends with John and still in touch with George. You know, we're not best friends, we don't talk on the phone every day, but... And he's so happy with his twins and his his life. He's gone kind of underground in many ways, to his credit, you know. But so the money went there. That's where the money went. And you were telling about so the Will, So Will Galtney walks in, and that was his first night in, in the house. Elizabeth, his wife, knows it like the back of her hand. And he accidentally fell in, and he was... Of course, he was mortified, <laughs> but it was so crowded that night. George Clooney, and at that time, he was the biggest movie star on the planet Earth. So people were calling to get last-minute tickets, and I, I remember 
telling Barbara Gamson, she said, I've got one more. And I said, honey, I can't get another piece of dental floss in this house. <laughs> I just would love, I hate turning down the money for the charity, but I just can't see it anymore. So it was jam-packed that night. And so when we got him upstairs and got a pair of John's trousers and we got him back downstairs, and I remember that we're talking with George and we're standing in a bouquet and he said to George, he said, I'll tell you what, and George said, wow, you're braver than me. I mean, that was amazing or whatever. You're handling it so well. And Because when he fell in, George put his hands down on the table. I was sit- sitting next to George, and he stood up, and he said, that's it. Let's all get in. You know, he <laughs> screamed it out loud. And I think many people would have done it, so he was kidding. And Will said, I'll give you $50,000 if you'll jump in behind me. And George said, you know what? I'll give you 50000 not to. And so that was the end of that. But he's a great sport. One of the best nights of my life because – you seated me, you're, and, and as you explained how crowded it was, and you couldn't even have dental floss in there, I was like five seats from George Clooney. And I wrote, when I wrote about it in a magazine, I always I, I go as a journalist and I write the stories up. And the line I used, and you've, you've laughed about it, you've mentioned it to <laughs> me at parties, uh, uh, you know, about the dinner rolls. But I said I was close enough to George Clooney that he could have, no, that I could have thrown a dinner roll at his head. <laughs> exactly. Why did you seat me so close to George Clooney? What did, what because had, you know what, I really am. I very rarely seat myself next to the guest of honor. On that particular night, I did because I felt really bad. I couldn't go down to the Q&A at the Wortham because I'm trying to squeeze in the – I'm doing the seating. And, you know, there's a lot going on as a hostess, as you know. I mean, you've got 280 people coming to your house for dinner. I just couldn't leave my house. There was, you know, I didn't even take a shower. I never do. I'm just so busy changing the seating around and making sure the menu and everybody's copacetic. And so I did seat myself with him that night. But I try really hard, Jeff, to move people around and let everybody feel like they're always somebody important when they come. And so I try to do it in a really democratic way. I mean, when Kevin Spacey came before Kevin's you know, scandal, you know, I was, I didn't even put myself at Kevin's table. I put you, Lisa, there. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and and, and then when he sat down, exactly. So I started off with two blondes and then I next to him (laughs) and then he got up to talk and then the two brunettes went, you know, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I really do try my very best to give everybody a chance to, and I, and I always make sure that I walk around and have a very long cocktail hour so everybody can talk to our special guests and everyone can be photographed with them, whether it's Prince Albert or Duran Duran or George Clooney or Barack Obama or whoever. I mean, my God, over the years, it's been Tom Brady, Tom Brady. That was such a fun night. Were you at that one, Lisa? Oh, that was so much fun. Lisa, I want to ask you about seating people at part. That's a big part of There's it, isn't it? There's an art to it. Oh my God. It's, I labor over it for days. It makes all the difference. My rule of thumb is really quite simple. I don't always get to do it this way, but my rule of thumb is whoever you are, I've tried to put someone familiar on one side and someone new on the other. Absolutely. And then you have an opportunity to get to know somebody new. And if you don't like them for whatever reason, then you've got your comfort zone with your friend next to you on exactly. the other side. I try not to seat people that are sleeping together or used to sleep together like husbands and wives of 30 years. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I try to separate them because they see each other all the time. But I tell you, I, w- I used to get phone calls. I mean, like Lester Smith, rest in peace. I miss him so much. It was so much fun. Don't separate Sue. 
don't put me next to somebody other than Sue. I want to sit next to Sue. Of course, I comply because you want everybody to... You want them to be happy. You want them because to if be happy. Because if everybody's yes. happy, you're going to have a successful party. Precisely. And it's interesting because those are my rules exactly. Yeah. Always separate couples. And I love the familiar and who might you get yeah. along with that you don't know yet. Yeah. And I always try to invite people that are a little outrageous, a little unexpected, I mean, it's boring if you have the same kind of people in the room all the time. And what besides seating do you think lends itself to a perfect party? Like what's your most Lots important? Lots of tequila shots at the door <laughs> and vodka. I remember my my husband said once, God, you labor so much over the menu. All you need to do is send them back to the bar and let them smoke and drink. And right. they were so happy. Back in the days when people were still smoking. Right. I mean, and I, you had cigarettes always in always, those cute little cups. Not anymore because it's, it's not healthy and it's just not the right thing to do. But you 20 you were still ago. doing that after it was still not healthy. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. That's why I don't want to get COVID. I know my lungs are very compromised. So I just... I get it. I was in that room yeah. many a time. Many a time. Yes. Dancing with the Houston Stars. Those were fun parties. Those were. How the heck did that come about? That came about because that was one of those times when the ballet needed lots of lots of money and they I said you know what I, I I let me do this let me create something dancing with the stars was at its height on television it had just sort of aired and people were watching it and loving it and I said why don't we do that but we'll get like five or six local celebrities and we'll pair them with principal dancers at the Houston Ballet, but they could choose their genre. So it can be anything from the samba to the tango to the waltz to jazz to classical to you name it, you know, and we did it all. And they would come and rehearse and it was so much fun. So we did three of those and then... Over the pool. Over the pool, put a top over the pool, put a top over the pool many, many times for fashion shows, for concerts, for... I mean, I remember one Super Bowl party. We had Willie Nelson. He played at the end of the pool, and we did tables and chairs another time. We had Tom Brady. We did a football field with AstroTurf complete with, what do you call it, the lines that mark the yards? There's a word for it. The lines that mark the yards, as far, <laughs> as, those, those, as, far as I'm concerned. That's right, but there's actually a, an athletic term for it. But, you know, and then people around it. So, yeah, it's always... Who were the best dancers? What do you remember about all that? Phoebe won the first year, Phoebe, Phoebe Tudor. Tudor. And she was, well, first of all, she's like you, Lisa. She's got those mile-long legs. I hate <laughs> you, you both. <laughs> that we're all friends is really, really questionable for me because I've always, I'm always telling Phoebe and Lisa, can you squat down? We have to take this picture again. Try to look short. Try to look shorter. Not that I'm short, but y'all You're are not. just so damn tall, you know? But so she was out there and I remember she said she put, she had Sarone put as many extensions in her hair. She said, I did everything I could to win this. And she practice and oh gosh Sarone did Born This Way to Lady Gaga had just come out with the that song Born This Way which is a double entendre a lot of people are born gay you right. know so and he's gay it's really gosh what was your first <laughs> what was the first clue yeah. but I remember I, I go in I go yeah. in the day before to get my hair colored and his assistant instead of doing color for people She's gluing rhinestones on his shoes. And when he's out there doing his dance, those rhinestones were flying everywhere. I was afraid they were going to put somebody's eye out. But Lester was fantastic. Dominique Satza was fantastic. Lynn Wyatt was fantastic. I mean, everybody, Mansoor, Pat, I mean, it was, just, it, everyone did it. It was so much fun. 
Wasn't there a singing one too? I did for the opera. I did for the opera. We did singing with the Houston stars. Yeah. And did did Lynn sing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend? Lynn sang Diamonds with a Girl's Best Friend. And Bobby Tudor sang Shenandoah. Remember that? That was so fun. And then some guy, and I can't remember his name. I hate myself, but he was a big donor of Houston Grand Opera. And he did show tunes. And he did a medley of show tunes. And he was really, really good. And he won. Anyway, it was, yeah, that was, it was fun. You've had amazing parties. So what's your favorite all-time standout, most successful in your mind? Oh, my goodness, Is it, It's not even possible to name one? I don't know if I can, if I can, I mean, right off the top of my head, I have to say the honor of being asked to do the first ever fundraiser for the most important museum in the world, which was the Louvre in Paris. And not only being the first one, not a French woman, but an American woman, but a Texan woman, you know. So I was so, so excited about that. And I poured my heart and soul into that one. And so many people came from Houston. The tickets were a fortune, $10,000 a person. But I made $3 million. Duran Duran donated the concert. They're good friends of mine. And so they donated the concert. And it was... Oh, I mean, it was Princess Caroline. I mean, everybody was there. It was just an array of royalty and rock stars and fashion designers, Gautier, and it was just so much fun. And is that what led to the National Order of Legion? The Legion d'Or. I think You've that been knighted. I've been knighted. I'm the honorable. <laughs> the honorable Becca Kaysen Thrash. I would die if anyone ever said that to me. But anyway. Well, I was going to ask you, does it piss you off that we don't call you Dame Becca. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, not at all. No, no, no. But that was that was a huge honor too. But that was kind of a, a culmination of raising over fifteen million dollars for the Louvre, also raising awareness for the haute couture because I was a big defendant of the haute couture when a lot of people were saying there's people starving in the world. You know, how can you justify spending fifty thousand dollars on a dress? I never spent $50,000 on a dress, but many of the clients do. And so there was a BBC documentary called The Secret World of Haute Couture, and I just tried to explain. These are artisans, and they have jobs too, and they sit and do lassage beading or feathers. And, I mean, it's, a, it's an art form that would completely disappear if it's not supported by people who have money. So I remember one time Charlie Rose was, was at the house, and it was when La Croix Haute Couture allowed me to bring their collection, and they had never, ever had a formal haute couture show outside of Paris, and they still haven't. It was the only time. The collections may go to a hotel, and you can go into a suite and try things on and order them, but to actually have a formal show recreated. But I had become friends with Lacroix and, and Marie Martinez, who was the, the directrice, and so they allowed me to bring the whole collection and do a formal show. And I remember and Charlie, and that was in my house. We did a runway on top of the, the water, and we had a tent in the backyard, and we took down a glass wall. So the model started off outside in the garden, and then they walked towards the glass wall, and I think people were freaking out. They didn't realize one whole wall had been taken away, and they walked straight through it. It was like Casper the Friendly Ghost, <laughs> you know? And it was people were just, like, awed. But... um why am I talking about this? There was the question. It was about your favorite event. Oh. Your, the one that stands out the most. And, and having but, been knighted and having and having been been by the friends. So I think, knighted, right. I think just, you know, my constant, you know, 
I've worked a lot with Versailles and with the restoration of Giverny, and I've just brought a lot of Americans to a culture, and it is a cultural difference. It's not that the French are stingy. I'm constantly trying to defend them. It's Our culture is real simple. You work hard, and you give back. I mean, that's how we're raised in America, but not over there. They think that everything should be subsidized by the state, and everything cannot be subsidized by the state. We cannot imagine a museum acquiring, you know, pieces for their collection without private equity. I mean, as Americans, we raise money or we give money, but they don't. So the director of the Louvre asked me to kind of come over in 2007 and teach the French what it's like to be philanthropic and to give. And to this day, they're just, I mean, it's just a cultural difference. It's just they don't, they don't, and it's not just the French, it's the English, and they raise a lot of money in London, but not so much because of the English, but because of the wealthy Russians and the wealthy Chinese and the wealthy Lebanese and people that have all moved to London. This is before Brexit. It was very easy to raise money back then. And I remember when I first got involved with the Prince of Wales Foundation, I mean, we were just also excited to be in his orbit, Prince Charles's orbit back then, that raising money for that was really very easy, and all the money went to his uh, English ar- architectural restorations. But So I was knighted for all of those reasons. It was cumulative, all those many reasons, building positive Franco-American relations. You've also been helping uh, with raising money for Notre Dame, right? Wasn't that why you went to Mexico City That's right. just before the pandemic? Oh, my God, y'all. One week later, I would have had to have canceled and... You might have found a body floating in the bayou. It might have been mine. I might have just thrown myself out there. I've thought about it many times. The water's gotten close enough, and I just had to open the back door. Yeah, and so I, I said I would do it. I would. At first I said, no, I can't, I can't possibly. My house is flooded. I'm living in an apartment downtown, and charity begins at home. So I'm, you know. <laughs> You're not just flooded I, I, during I, Harvey, I, right? Right, and I, our, our house got three feet of water. During Harvey, Lisa was going to put me up, except your air conditioning unit got flooded. I know, I, I know. my whole pool house. <laughs> Thanks to you, I, uh, <laughs> we found other quarters. But uh, thank you very much for that, by the way. But anyway, so I just said no. I just said I, I'd love to help you. I wish I could. And then it was reported that all these French billionaires were giving all this money, and I didn't think they needed it. Only that it was pledged but not given, not not in its entirety. And so they really did. And then they started having even more problems with the lead poisoning and all that. And they came back and asked me to reconsider. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I've always wanted to do something in Mexico City. I know the city well. It's exploding. It's just on fire with the, you know, the cultural scene, the art scene. I have so many friends that have magnificent homes that I knew would open them for me because they had opened them for me for the Board of the Louvre when I did a trip for the Board of the Louvre. Uh, in 2010. So I did it in Mexico City. I, I mean, all the money was raised. It still went to the restoration of Notre Dame, but I organized it in Mexico City, and I had a blast doing that and one. just by the skin of your teeth got it done. Literally. We all flew home on March the 2nd, and I think we were asked to go in quarantine on the 9th or the 10th of March. And some people even were sick, right, that, that we, were on the trip? Yeah, people that were on the trip that were not well, there were people from. I mean, there were people in from Houston. They didn't get sick in Mexico. Oh, they they, they were there were people that were on the trip that later got that later okay. got sick, and even John Taylor from Duran Duran got real. He left. He went back to London, 
Duran had three gigs, one in Denmark, one in Stockholm, and one in Oslo or something like that. And when he got back to London, he was really, really getting sick. And he, he had one of the first cases that I knew of, of COVID. And to his credit, when he got better and recovered and it was nip and tuck there for a while, he put it on Instagram and let his fans know this is not something to be taken lightly. I mean, a lot of people want to play it down and I don't know why. You know, it's something that people should be aware of. I mean, a lot of people have had it and they've had very light symptoms, but other people, like I said, my friend's mother is coming off a respirator today and she's been on a respirator for 30 days with no pre-existing condition, 78. And I don't think 78's that old, you know? So, yeah. So, but we got, we got through it with flying colors. It was an enormous success. It was a glorious three days and three nights in Mexico city. And, um, a big success, 1.5 million. So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean? You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal. And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, Houston-based, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over. You will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again, never hassle with providers, only deal with real simple. Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. We've talked about the high points of some of your most fabulous parties. Yeah. I'm going I'm to ask you to dish a little bit on, mm. on yourself. <laughs> it's a real chore, and a lot of stars have to align to make these parties come up. And they don't do it by acting. You work hard to make yeah. sure those stars align. They don't always, do they? Aren't no. there, aren't there no. some problems? No. What are the most fabulous screw-ups from your parties? Well, screw-ups, I, I, I don't know that. I, I don't know, and I'm really not, and I'm really not being coy. I can't think of a like a real screw up, so to speak, other than once I mailed an invitation with insufficient postage, and one thousand of them came back the next day. <laughs> that was never duplicated again. <laughs> now they have twenty five dollars just to go to you know from you know Long Woods to Little John. <laughs> not really. But I think for me, the the most disappointing thing about what I do, and I am just being very candid, is is sometimes people tell you they're going to do something and then they don't do it. And, you know, you're holding their seats and they're coming and they're coming and they're coming and then they don't. And then you're out that money and you were counting on that money. And so I think so many people, and particularly in later years, you know, as a fundraiser, I've got to have a certain amount of money in the bank just to, 
you know, cover costs. I mean, I always try to have underwriters and I always do have underwriters, but you, you, then you have expenses above and beyond what the underwriter has agreed to. And I'm really big on giving minimum of 80% of the gross to the charity. And so I'm always very nervous. And, you know, I think people that don't do what I do in their defense, they don't realize that their pledge to me is a pledge received mm -hmm. in my mind. So if you tell me, Lisa, and you've never done this to me, so I can use you as a perfect example because you're perfect. But if <laughs> you, you had said, Michael and I are definitely going to the Louvre, we're coming, and that's $20,000, I'm counting that. Sure. And then it gets down to the wire, and I don't have it. You know, I mean, I, I take it personally. I know I shouldn't, but I don't know any other way. All these things are very personal to me, and I'm reaching out to only... You know, I curate these guest lists. I know every single person that's invited. And then sometimes you get down to the wire and you need extra people. And then you let your friends invite other people that they know. And I have had some problems with people that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that just happened in Mexico City. And I'll never name names. I didn't even know these people. But they just ended up just being real pains in the ass, you know. And um, entitled and not happy with their seating. And I, I, I just don't want to, you know, th those are the things that are, but these things are not always rosy. They're just not. I mean, well, when I ask about things going wrong, I, I was thinking along the lines of like the time you had to go to Whataburger to feed everybody because, because, because we had so little food. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's actually ended up being funny, except that, uh, it was this glorious night. Once again, I'm not going to say who was the sponsor, but it was just bottle after bottle of wine and champagne. And they brought in this Michelin star chef that gave everybody like one square inch of food <laughs> and people were drinking and drinking and drinking. And then they were starving to death. So I tumbling into the pool, tumbling into the pool. So I <laughs> sent, I sent two waiters to Whataburger. We got pizzas in, put truffle oil on top, transferred them to silver platters, got rid of the paper and just passed them all around. And, and people I think thought it was normal. I'll tell you the worst thing that ever happened for the LaCroix thing. The wigs, the shoes and the accessories got stuck in customs and we never got them in time. And the LaCroix people that were here from Paris were freaking out because Mr. LaCroix insists that every mannequin go down exactly the way it went down the runway in Paris. We didn't have the shoes, we didn't have the wigs and we didn't have the jewelry. And George Bush is the president. Neil Bush, the brother, was coming that night. I'm going like, Neil, do you think George <laughs> could make a call? And Neil's like, if you think for one second, I'm going to bother my, my brother, the president, for shoes. for shoes and wigs and jewelry. And so we scrambled and uh, called Mickey Rosemarin, and here came the shoes. And we scrambled, you know, Lenny Madison. I mean, it every, it's, and that was down to the wire. And it's always something like that, though. That's not one or two. In, there, there, it's always something like that. In Mexico City, the, the Grand Nuit was going to be in Chapultepec Castle. It was going to be in Chapultepec. It was on the invitation. I'm ready to send it out. And I'm down there for the final trip. And they said, the Minister of Culture wants to have a meeting with you. And okay, fine. I have the meeting with the Minister of Culture. You can use Chapultepec Castle. However, there's a few restrictions. There can be no auction. What? What do you mean there can be no auction? You can't raise money for a cathedral in Paris. We're still trying to, you know, open the cathedrals from the last earthquake. So there can be no auction. 
there can be no band and there can be no dancing and you must leave by 11 p.m. I went, leave by 11 p.m.? The Mexicans won't even get there till 1045. (laughs) I mean, are you crazy? And so then I had to scramble, scramble. The invitations are ready to go. They were electronic. Thank God. Thank God. And I saw in one day, 10 venues, chose one that was so much better, even so a door closes, a window opens, chose one that was really even better, the Casino Español, which is a historic, fabulous building downtown. And we were off to the races, but I mean, my heart was pounding. I walked out of that meeting with the Minister of Culture going, you're telling me I can't have an auction? My 60% of the revenue comes from the auction, you know? I mean, I get expensive things. So Are you not exhausted? When are you going to rest? I am exhausted, (laughs) so I've I've rested during COVID, and um, I'm over it. I'm ready to get back to work. I'm ready to take on a new project, and I... um, Do you have something on the horizon? No. Not yet? No, because no one... can. There's nothing... There is nothing on the horizon for anyone, and I feel so... I mean, I just feel so badly with what this has done to everybody, to the nonprofits, to the... But you're so creative and think outside the box. What do you want to say to all these organizations that can't have a big, giant event? It can't just be, let's all have virtual events. I know, but that's all that people are doing right now. You know, I mean, you get all dressed, like the Emmys, you get all dressed up in your living room to be by yourself and with your popcorn. I don't know. I just, there's, I don't know what's going to happen. I have to believe that surely by 2022 we'll be, all be back on track. I hope. One last question for you. Sure. Yves Saint Laurent once said, fashions fade, style is eternal. What's the difference between fashion and style for Becca Case and Thrash? Well, fashion comes and goes and trends come and go, but Whatever your style is, you should be true to it, no matter who you are. And that's eternal for you. And you can't really define style because it's ambiguous and vague. And what Lisa's style is, is not my style. But if it's good, it's good. And if it's good, it's good forever, you know. And so Saint was right on when he said that. We've loved having you. Thank, thank you for you. being our very and first And thank victim. you so much for, I'm the guinea pig. I love I it. I love it. I love it. And if this goes in the garbage can, I sure had fun with you three. <laughs> so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Becca. Thank CityBook and Company is a production of CityBook Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brauner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America. With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company, too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process, most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. 
and it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at EnvoyMortgage.com and tell them Jeff from CityBook sent you. And now back to our show. <laughs> 